Shalom and welcome to Origin Gate's daily podcast, Wisdom's Echo. My name is Carl Whitehead, and in this podcast we'll be continuing on and returning to our initial premise regarding the Ten Commandments, which is that there are ten discrete laws and five basic principles that govern them. Each principle expresses itself in the two spheres of the mirrored decalogue as a vertical and a horizontal relationship. So again, what does that mean? A vertical relationship speaks about our relationship with God. And horizontal relationships speak about our relationships one with another. So in this podcast, I will discuss the relationship between the second and the seventh commandments and what underlying principle we can draw upon to better understand how these two commandments protect our vertical relationships with Hashem and our horizontal relationships with each other. So, firstly, what is the second commandment? So the second commandment you will find in chapter 20, verse 3, beginning in verse 3 and going all the way through verse 6. And this is what we read in the English. There shall not be unto you the gods of others in my presence. So that's verse 3. Verse 4 goes on to say, You shall not make for yourself a statue, nor any image of that which is in the heavens above, or that which is on the earth below, or that which is in the water beneath the earth. Verse 5 reads, You shall not prostrate yourself to them, nor shall you worship them. For I am Hashem your God, a God who is jealous, who visits the sin of the fathers upon children, upon the third and upon the fourth generation for my enemies, but who acts and starting in chapter in verse six, but who acts with kindness for thousands of generations to those who love me and to those who observe my commandments. What I would like to do firstly is just just break open this commandment, the second commandment here, so that we can understand it a little bit deeper by looking at what some of the commentators say about this. So firstly, this commandment comprises four separate negative injunctions. So what I mean by negative injunctions is that it's a negative commandment, or it holds within it four negative commandments itself. And a negative commandment is simply something that God is asking us not to do. A positive commandment, on the other hand, is something that God is asking us to do. So there are four negative injunctions in this second commandment so the first one is not to believe in idols in other words don't believe that an idol can have divine agency seconds not to make or possess them third not to worship them through any of the four forms of divine service and those are prostrating yourself before them like bowing down animal slaughter bringing offerings or libations of wine or other liquids upon an altar. And finally, number four, not to worship an idol by a means that is unique to that idol. So what that means is that there are deities and idols out there that require certain actions 
as forms of worship towards that idol. For example, there is a, an idol from ancient times called Merculus, or Mercury, as we would say in the English. So the worship of Mercury, of Mercury was done through the act of throwing stones at it. Yes, very strange indeed, but that is what happened. So, for example, if you were to come across a an a idol of Merculus, and you were to throw a stone at it, you would be engaging in worshiping, worshiping that idol. So God is saying, don't do that. Now there's an interesting part that also comes out in verse 3, where it says, There shall not be unto you the gods of others in my presence. Or literally means, before my face. So since God is, and so here it says that in my presence means as long as I exist. And since God is eternal, so too is this prohibition. This is something that Rashi says. So to defy a human, defy a human king to his face is the worst form of treason. And since God is omnipresence, omnipresent, idolatry is an unpardonable affront. I like that use of that word. It's an affront to God. Now, Rambam and Rambam, so Maimonides and Nachmanides, both trace the development of idolatry from early history when it was clear to all that there was a creator. People began to feel that by showing respect for the intermediaries through which God controls the universe, they were displaying reverence for him, much as one honors a king by showing respect to his emissaries and ministers. Then in time, people began to, began to believe that these forces and beings had independent powers and came to worship them as independent entities. At first, they worshipped the angels, which are heavenly spiritual beings. In time, the cult spread to the heavenly bodies and even to people of exceptional ability such as Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. The idolaters felt that their worship would increase the power of the heavenly force or the king that guided their destinies because they would have the merit of the multitudes in order in addition to their own considerable powers. Later the corruption spread even to the worship of Shadim or demons, evil semi-spiritual beings. The, prohib the prohibition in this verse refers to all beings of any form that can conceivably be worshipped. Now one other thing that, or a couple of things I want to point out, but the first one is this interesting term here where God says that he is a God who is jealous. What does that mean? So the Torah uses the expression jealous only with reference to idolatry and to a suspicious husband's claim that his wife was unfaithful, which you find in the book of Bar Midbar, the book of Numbers 5.14. So the term refers to an abuse of trust and someone's refusal to give up something that is rightfully his. In the context of idolatry, God alone is entitled to veneration and he will not countenance worship of other beings. So the Mechilta teaches that God says, For idolatry... I zealously exact punishment, but in other matters I am gracious and merciful. In the context of the jealous husband who claims that his wife has lived with another man, he refuses to give up 
the faithfulness to which he is entitled. So the, the sort of the second thing that I want to, the last thing I want to point out about this, this commandment is this interesting term here where he says the sin, he visits the sin of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generation. So the commentators were had a, a debate about this because this seems a bit severe. So what do they have to say about this? In response to the question of how children can be punished for the for sins they did not commit, the sages explain that children are punished only if they carry on the sinful legacy of their parents, or if it was in their power to protest, but they acquiesced, acquiesced to the lifestyle that was shown them. Thus ratifying the deeds of their parents and adopting them as their own. So history shows that when sins are repeated over the course of generations, they become legitimated as a culture, independent lifestyle, or a new set of values. Thus children who consciously accept and continue the ways of their iniquitous parents are forging a pattern of behavior that has much more force than the deed of only one errant generation. Thus children who adopt the ways of their parents are, in a sense, committing more virulent sins than they would be if they acted only on their own. God refers to such peoples as my enemies. Now it's also very interesting as well in this that even in such a case, the punishment for the sins of parents does not go beyond the fourth generation. So this speaks to the, the mercy of God in regards to what happens when the generations take on a habitual sin pattern but do not understand the origins of it. So this idea of idolatry and who would be an enemy of God we need to define that as people who know that idolatry is something that God is asking them not to do, but choose to do it anyway. Now look at this, listen to this. There's a wonderful part of this in verse 6 where it says that God acts with kindness for thousands of generations to those who love him and observe his commandments. Now I want you to think about this. The reward for good deeds is 500 times as great as the punishment for sin. So that's the second commandments. Now let's just quickly look at the seventh commandment. Now the seventh commandments simply is two words in the Hebrew. Lo ten af, which means you shall not commit idolatry. Now in itself this commandment is self-explanatory and by definition this term refers to cohabitation with a married woman which is obviously a rule breaker, breaker in regards to marriage and this brings us really to the underlying principle when we connect why these two verses mirror each other with an underlying principle. So what is that underlying principle? Now the interesting thing is that we have already alluded to that when we looked at the commentary on the term that explains God as 
jealous, where it says, who is jealous? So again, this is in verse 5, where he says, Anochi Hashem Elohecha El Kana For I, Ki Ani, for I am Hashem Elohecha Hashem your God El Kana Who is a God who is jealous And we, we talked about this, that This term jealousy, or the expression jealous Is only ever used in reference to idolatry And to a suspicious husband's claim that a wife has been unfaithful so we now have these two commandments on either side of the tablet so do not have any other gods before me and do not commit adultery and when we think about the equivalency between them if you think about idolatry it's somebody invading a committed relationship between a married man and a woman. And then we think about what it means to the worship. What is the worship of idolatry? And there really is something common about them. So again, adultery is in the horizontal relationship. Idolatry is in the vertical relationship. So idolatry destroys relationship with someone that you have made a commitment to. In other words, you have consciously chosen to bind your life together with that person. So this is why the, the marriage covenant is such a poignant idea and such a paints a, a poignant picture in regards to our relationship with God as a community of believers because marriage implies covenant or marriage is covenant it's where two lives come together to forge the future pathway together and this is the idea and the desire in the heart of God towards us that he desires that we journey with him and in that journey learn how to build a better future that promotes life that promotes the good that allows communities to thrive and function together and this is for me this is the heart of what the ten commandments is all about it's the capacity for community to thrive because there is an underlying moral principle that allows people to agree how to engage relationally with one another because we are all committed to the principle of community the com the principle of building together under the the relationship with god that each one of us has so marriage and our relationship with god are the two kind are two kinds of sacred relationship so in the horizontal realm we call this marriage in the vertical realm we would call that worship so the idea of worshiping god is because of our veneration and we value the relationship that we have with him so these are very what we would call exclusive relationships and when when we bring something in that doesn't belong, in other words, if we bring in idolatry, we bring in idols. Because what is what is the act of idolatry? It is attributing 
divine governance over your life to something that you make with your own hands. It is, at the heart, it is man functioning in a ridiculous manner. But yet we see that it is incredibly prevalent throughout history, throughout the history of humanity, idolatry, the worship of things that actually have no divinity in them, that are not God in, in any stretch of the imagination, yet the imagination attaches to them to make them so, like the worship of the sun, the worship of the clouds, the rain, the water, the rivers, the sea, the, the, the sun, the moon, all those things, you know, worshipping trees. These things do not contribute to our lives because they can't. They, we cannot build relationship with them. And the same is true with marriage. Marriage is a covenant between two people joining lives together to build in, within the context of that relationship a life together. So if you bring an idol into, into your spiritual life, you are disconnecting yourself from the creator, the author of life. If you bring someone else into your marriage through the, through the act of adultery, you are destroying the covenant of relationship. So two, these two commandments are there to protect relationship and to stop relationship from destroying it. So commandment number two is don't do that. Don't destroy, don't allow these things to come in and destroy your relationship. In fact, be on the watch for such things and don't agree to participate in them. And that's, that to me is the key. Don't agree to participate in the act of idolatry and the act of of so the act of idolatry and the act of adultery. Because the word the two words sound very similar as well, don't they? So anyway, hope that uh, gives you insights and pause to think about what these commandments are doing and how they function. So Baruch Hashem. Until next time, Shalom Shalom.